Hey, this is Miss Radio. Welcome back. You're about to hear my follow-up conversation with Castellin Tillis. If you don't know who she is yet, check out Castellin Part 1 at Miss Radio's page on SoundCloud. Back in February, we talked about life after Miss, looking for work in Washington, D.C., and the role of identity in Castellin's life. Now she's working at the State Department, and she's going to let us know what she carried forward with her from Miss, as well as what it takes to work at her country's most important diplomatic institution. Castellin's insights on the roles of identity and values in work in our nation's capital are something every Miss student should hear, not to mention her insights on the cultural and cinematic experience that is Black Panther. Anyway, without further ado, once again, here is Castellin. We are back with Castellin Tilu. First of all, is that how we pronounce your last name? Um, Tillis is how I often pronounce Tillis. it. Okay. As you see fit. Okay. I was looking up how to do that when I was recording the intro to the last episode. I looked up how that, that name spelled that way is pronounced in different countries, like in France or in Canada or West Africa. And the consensus was Tilu because maybe it's French, but... Yeah, it might be French in origin, but I've never asked my parents for like the narrative gotcha. behind the name. So we well, can choose the pronunciation if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, eventually we'll all have to know how to say your name because you're on your way. You're, you're working in D.C. now, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm two months into my internship at the Department of State and I have an official government badge. So I get oh, into boy. all of the federal agencies. Yeah. Wow. That's congratulations. The highlight of my job. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so what is your job title right now? So I am a research and policy intern um, within the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. Very so cool. Any issues that, anything to de deal with human rights within the Western Hemisphere, I would do research on that. So depending on what my director wants me to do, if it's human rights issues in Guatemala, I would write a report in terms of what my assessment of the situation is, or if it's in Haiti, it varies from week to week, depending yeah. on what the priorities are. Wow. That sounds like a dream for a lot of people at Miss who like really dig into their research. And I, I know I'm one of those people who just loves diving into a subject matter and getting a feel for it, getting the contours of it. Is that kind of what it, it feels like for you? You just dive into the subject matter and have to synthesize something? Yeah, you get lost in it sometimes. So um, last week I was assigned to do research on a human rights abuse in Haiti. So there was a massacre in 94. Mm. Um, and my supervisor wanted to know more about it in terms of who was implicated, were they held accountable, um, and what is the status of the, the trial that had happened then now in terms of like, were the perpetrators in prison, all of that. So I spent a full week just doing Google searches. I went through government archives, like looking through classified data. And I wrote a report that was a page long. Wow. And my supervisor thought like, this is great. You can get it down to a paragraph <laughs> even. Wow, okay. So, so into it. you have to distill it once for your supervisor and then distill it yet again so it can go further up the, the chain. Yeah, so in the government bureau, you have the clearance process. Right. So in order to push forward any policy, you have to get it like up the chain of commands. And they apparently have decreasing attention spans the higher you go up the hierarchy. <laughs> so um, I tried to condense 20 years of research to one page and that wasn't short enough. Um, wow. so from the time of the massacre, 94, up until now. 
and he said paragraph in order to submit it to one of our like senior officials does does that kind of um request from your supervisor or just knowing that that's kind of the structure of it does that make you think that it might not do those sorts of events justice um that's kind of my subjective take on it but uh how do do you fit something that has a lot of emotion in it into a paragraph like something like that you don't it's distilled down to like really dry language there's very little nuance Um, but i find that's just the type of writing that you find in government documents essentially um like if you mention names there isn't a story behind them they don't have personality it's just that this person was assaulted um but you don't you don't give them a background right um this person was the perpetrator but you don't talk about yeah. what their motives might have been um, that reminds me of working when i worked at the law firm and you would have to read through police reports and that's it's basically the same thing they they distill it down to the very very barest details and take out the emotion and that report becomes the official record of an incident that might be so much more nuanced than that report can cover. Yeah. Um, but thank, thankfully they decided to archive the page summary I did just in case. Oh, good. Okay. Wanted, um, like a, a more in-depth um, like brief. Right. Yeah. And Haiti is just one of the countries that I'm t- like assigned to. I've also been tasked with doing research on Central America. Um, so looking at homicide rates in Honduras and prison like, crowding, um, what else? The Venezuela migration crisis, um, the Chilean crisis, and the fact that they're receiving a lot of Venezuelans and Haitians. Right. Can they accommodate um, migrants? Um, again, doing research and writing my assessment of these given issues. So it's been incredible. I think I'm much more well-informed on what's happening in the Western Hemisphere, um, focusing specifically on Latin America and the Caribbean. Right. So what yeah, is the turnaround time for something like this? They ask you to dive into one topic or one event or something. How quickly do you have to work to synthesize something? Sometimes just a day. Wow. <laughs> and they can often be obscure topics that I'm not familiar with. So yesterday, one staff member asked me to look up the attorney general selection process in Honduras. And I thought, I'm not even sure what an attorney general in the U.S., yet alone in Honduras. Right. And he wanted a thorough um, like writing or briefing of their selection process in a day's time. Um, and a lot of the, the texts I could find were in Spanish, so I had to translate them. And, you know, I, I got it done in time. So I submitted, yeah. I left the office today. Um, that's because they need to have this information to then and move along the clearance process. I think we lost you there for a second. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Oh, okay, it's, cool. it's rewarding to contribute to that, but in the end, you don't get credit. Um, mm. So that's okay. out of mind, at least. <laughs> I think I, I heard a quote recently in, in class and I think comes from Benjamin Franklin, something about, you know, you can get anything done as long as you don't worry about having your name on it. Like take, it's something along those lines. It makes a lot of sense, but it requires a lot of humility to put yourself into that kind of work. So um, I'll let that speak for itself with regard to what you're doing.
but it's yeah. just funny that that seems to be truly the case in this kind of position. Yeah, and I actually had to draft a tweet on behalf of the State Department. That was wow. actually so exciting, yeah. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's pretty cool. I'll start following yeah. the State Department now. Yeah, they have a pretty huge online presence. <laughs> Not really, but right. <laughs> I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> but wow. Yeah, we were commemorating the 18th anniversary of an assassination in Haiti. So one of the prominent journalists was assassinated for just being vocal. And mm. till this day, no one's been convicted for his murder. So we thought on the 18th year anniversary, we would write a statement just saying that like, we want to pay homage to this journalist. He hasn't been forgotten. And they needed someone to draft a tweet. And I, I worked on it for about three days and it had to go through multiple bureaus to get clearance. So the Haitian Affairs Bureau had to clear it. The embassy in Port-au-Prince also had to clear it. Um, who else? I think one other functional bureau. And that meant writing several drafts. There was so three days to write 120 characters. Imagine 120 that. 120 characters. Yeah, so it involved like a really long email chain where I would send it to someone, they would object, or don't mention this word. That, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. Amazing. By the end of it, <laughs> we got yes. something that all the bureaus involved agreed on. Um, but it took so I feel accomplished. Yeah, three days. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you pulled it off. You're, yeah. That is your voice. I, I think hopefully we'll be able to recognize it in the din of all of the, you know, other, other State Department interns who have to put up or never get to try one of those again. Um, I, yeah. it, so, it sounds like you did a good job. So it made it. I, I did all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing I was going to say is that um, at the State Department, people quickly become experts in different things, and it's something that I initially found problematic. But just mm. because I researched something for a few days doesn't make me an expert on it. Whereas at the State Department, that's expected. So you're assigned to do research on human rights in Haiti. You'll be the person that everyone refers to if they need an update. Um, wow. But I would tell them, I've only researched this for three days, so what? Whereas <laughs> in academia, you spend an entire semesters, writing dissertations, doing a really deep dive before you consider yourself proficient right. or familiar with anything. It's crazy to believe that you're considered an expert after a day's worth of deep research, you know, you know to give you credit, but I guess that's what's required at that level. Um, that's a good idea. And I'm considered an expert on Haiti. <laughs> already? It's just like yeah, this. It's, it's only been two months. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it's funny how that identity kind of follows you, um, whether you're trying for it or not. Go figure. Uh, it makes me wonder myself, like, what what am I going to carry forward? You know, what is any what are any of us going to? Um, which is kind of I, I just thought of a question for you about, you know, what, going from MIST to now the State Department, doing the work you're doing, which is this intense research. Does it feel like maybe the hardest day of any of the classes you took here, like? I mean, you know, you take program eval and you're going to get into some intense work. But this sounds like something else. Did any of your classes in particular prepare you for this kind of work? Um, can I be honest? Please. Because I do think the program I was in was tailored towards development practitioners. Right. I don't think there was a heavy focus on research. I would say that I don't use a lot of the material that I learned. Gotcha. Yeah, in terms of doing problem tree or problem structuring, mm -hmm. so like design development projects, you don't see that at all. Right. Um, 
it's mostly knowing how to do targeted searches on Google, um, how to skim read, how to yeah. do really concise writing, which is not something I, that we focused on, again, because we're not training academics or policy writers per se. Um, but Maybe that's okay. Can. I don't know. I, I guess we miss did manage to train at least one, if not inadvertently, you know, in yeah. so <laughs> that that's mission. That is a mission accomplished, I guess, even if it wasn't their primary one. Um, what I should say is that I use my French every week. I write a press clip of human rights and democracy issues in Haiti, like based on um, what I've read, this is what's happening in the region. This is what we perhaps should respond to or write a statement to. And right. most of my primary sources are in French. So every time I open an article, I think of Cody's class. So we used to read these very same news articles for class exercises. I'm not doing it for work. No kidding. Uh, he'll probably be happy to hear that. I'll try to get this podcast in front of him somehow. So yeah. um, do you like it? Do you like being in D.C.? Um, God. Uh, that's a complicated answer. Complicated. Okay. I would say most days, yes, but some other days when like, I just don't have my family with me, it's cold, right. like I feel like I don't have a sense of community, I often wish I were elsewhere, mm. um, but I feel like that's the case if you move anywhere. Yeah. Like, it takes a while for you to sink in, to kind of build a routine and get comfortable in it. Yeah. Um, but I've since, like the, since the two, weeks, two months I've been here, I've met other interns, I've gone to a few network events, so it's gotten much better, but yeah, I would much rather be in Haiti or South right. Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully if you put in the time, you know, with this internship, it'll open up even more doors for you. Uh, yeah, so I actually go to the Haitian Affairs weekly meeting, so that's a, a separate bureau, and um, the director checked in with me and said that they're looking for a desk officer to cover migration issues, um, like related to Haiti in the U.S., um, would I be interested? And I, I said, certainly. Wow. Um, Very cool. So, I know. Um, I didn't attend the meetings with that in mind. I just wanted to keep informed. Yeah. Well, that's a darn good reason to attend networking events. Yeah. And in that case, I'll be an actual employee, not an intern. Excellent. And would that be out of D.C. or somewhere else? This will be out of D.C., so for the State Department. Okay. Um, and within the Bureau of... Western Hemisphere Affairs, there's the Office of Patient Affairs. I'd be working for them. Gotcha. It's incredibly hierarchical how the State Department is structured. Hmm. Um, like every bureau is a mesh in a different bureau that's a mesh in a larger bureau. Uh, yeah. It's Gotta love bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, yay. <laughs> Goodness. Um, so that that's something that's on the table for you when you finish your internship. When When might you make that transition yeah so my internship ends may 11th um so if offered the job i would start immediately after uh, and i hadn't really considered a career in like the federal government but i've since learned that you can also have influence um like from the policy standpoint i had always thought i'd be a practitioner so in the field implementing projects conducting surveys uh, whereas now i might be a little more removed hmm. um, so you, you feel like you can be influential even if you're not working for the federal government itself. 
No, in this case, if I were to take this job, I would be a federal employee. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be working on projects or programs. I would be working strictly on policies. Okay. So that's a little more up the alley of, you know, what your degree was geared toward. Yeah. yeah. You think you'd prefer that work to the research stuff you're doing now? Um, I certainly wouldn't be unhappy doing it. Um, I think I personally prefer research because I get to guide my own work. So mm. I choose my research question. I choose the, the type of field work I do. Whereas with this, I don't know, I feel like this is just more restricted in terms of what you're able to do. Right. You can make, because it has to clear through multiple bureaus and agencies, ultimately it's like watered down. Yeah, whether it's a tweet or, you know, a paragraph to summarize a tragic event in 1994, it's... Yeah. <laughs> and I also worry that the, working for the government will tame me. This is like a tangent, sorry. Mm, no, uh, it's... Okay. I feel like radicalized in that, like, I worry that working for the government will somehow pacify me. Um, when I think about development, I often think about getting rid of the very agencies that mm. tout themselves as, like, promoters of development. So getting rid of NGOs, getting rid of international like funding organizations, like promote in, endogenous growth. Um, but these are not things that I could recommend working for uh, the state government, where we want to intervene, we want to offer foreign assistance with our conditions imposed on them. But I, I wonder sometimes whether I'll be at odds with what some of my personal um, politics might be. Yeah. Um, it's hard to work in a way that doesn't align with your values perfectly. It really is. Um, and if you, do you feel like your values might end up being compromised by the sort of distance that these bureaus keep from the actual policy outcomes and the people that they're affecting? Yeah, um, probably, but that's just something I'm going to have to wrestle with. Yeah. Um, well, I, that's that's like a lifelong kind of thing. So um, I think you've got time <laughs> to yeah. figure that part out. Hopefully those decisions don't sneak up on you too much um, where you have to think about whether to follow your values or not. That's a really tough position to be in. So yeah. well, I haven't been offered the position, so when that happens. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, that's fair. Well, uh I don't want to take too much of your time, but before we let you go, I, I definitely want to hear about what you thought about Black Panther, finally, because we've had some conversation on campus about it. The African Nations Club did a discussion of it, and we're probably going to do something like a live event sometime soon uh, and record that with some, with like with Rodwa and Susan, Yanthi, and some other people. Um, but I want to get your take on it. You said you had some criticism of it and also that you loved it. So I just wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah, um, I wish I were there for the panel that was on campus, but I mostly love the movie. Um, I consider it to be a movement of sorts in that mm. it brought black people everywhere, like out of the shadows, out of the realms. Uh, we got dressed up, we wore fur, we wore print <laughs> clothing. It was incredible. That's badass, yeah. And I remember seeing one video of like an eight-year-old black boy looking at a poster for Black Panther. And he said, this is what white people feel like all of the time. <laughs> all of the time, like in disbelief, like to see yourself yeah. represented, to be empowered by it. It's something that we all should get to experience. Um, 
And I think I'm really fortunate to be here for the era of Black Panther, to see so many Black boys and girls see themselves represented in film. It's just been incredible. Yeah, no, we're all really fortunate to be around for this. It's, it's about time, yeah. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this last time, we're the villain, but also the sidekick and the hero. It's just, you see a diversity of representation. Right. Um, and also I, I looked even into the cast and we cover all of the diaspora. So they had cast, people casted from um, the US, from parts of Africa, parts of uh, Northern South America. So Guyana, oh, yeah. like a black Republic in South America. So again, we covered the entire diaspora. Um, so it was incredible to see. Um, this, yeah, I think my only critique though, if I had to have one, mm. I would be that we killed Killamonger in the end. Mm. Yeah, that was her. Like throughout the entire movie, I kind of, I empathize with him. I, I felt his pain, his sorrow for having been orphaned and forgotten. And I understood mm. why he wanted to avenge like his father's death, like all yeah. of that. I mean, it, it was one of those things where you, it was hard to know exactly how to feel about the so-called villain. And especially at the end when he kind of had a chance, he could have could chosen to live. They could have, it seemed like they could have saved his life, but he told T'Challa that he wanted to die, essentially. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe he only wanted to live a life where he was the Black Panther, but it's hard to say. I just wish that, I wish we could have redeemed him in the end. Because mm. Ultimate vision was good, I thought, like to liberate black people yeah. everywhere. Um, it was laced with a, a dash of empire building and domination. But I think that's the aspect we yeah. probably want. And violence. Physical and violence. violence. Yeah, but I think the idea of providing technology and resources to communities of color so that they could liberate themselves seems like inherently a good thing. I wish we could have somehow incorporated his vision into the fold of like the future that Wakanda's gonna propel forward. Um, Wait, did you, I mean, I, I don't remember if it was at the end of the movie or if you had to watch some of the credits first, but there was a scene that showed like T'Challa had bought a building and his sister had bought a building in the neighborhood where Killmonger grew up and they were going to use it as a liaison office for Wakanda, did, did, was that in the like the main part I, of the movie? I think so, because I remember seeing that too. I don't know okay. if it was, was the credits. And you know, in real life, um, I think Disney donated a million dollar to build a STEM center in Oakland. No kidding. So they've actually decided to build like a high tech center to basically reflect the ending of the film. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Um, that's actually really inspirational. And I think that, that that is kind of what you're talking about, like the incorporation of the best parts of Killmonger's vision into the future. Um, and I think that's something obviously Disney took note of, but anybody could take note of. Just putting these resources in the hands of people who will run with it the moment they have it. Yeah. Um, that seems think, like a good way forward. Yeah. So. He lives in spirit in that sure. sense. Sure, <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I don't, I don't take issue with the film for any other reason. Like the soundtrack was amazing. Right. Like I said, the cast was exemplary. The director is awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I love Lupita Nyong'o. I follow her like in all of her films, and she right. did super well in this one. So yeah, I agree. You might have noticed, but most of the all the female characters like wore their natural hairs in different fashions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, and a lot of the costumes were influenced by clothing that's worn like on the continent um, itself. That must have been refreshing to see represented in some kind of accurate, respectful way. Yeah. yeah. If Rakanda existed, I <laughs> would be there already. One thing I was going to, to say, or perhaps just ask, is I wonder what it would do to our psyche mm. as like Black people, people of color, if we saw more of these representations. Um, I just, I can't imagine what it'd be like to grow up in a world where you're told you can be heroic. Like, I, God, it just it must be amazing to, yeah. to have that narrative told to you, like, from infancy. You come to own it, you come, you live up to it, essentially. Right. I think that's a really powerful thing that, um, it, it seems like Black Panther will provide something like that for kids who grew up in a time where they were coming, becoming conscious of themselves with that in front of them. I think that can only be, a, that, that's, that's as good a start as we can hope for these days um, until policy and culture catches up. But this is evidence that culture is starting to. Um, yeah. It's got a long way to go. Uh, but I, I want you to know that, like, <laughs> I don't mean this to sound corny at all, but the whole point of us interviewing you is to give that to people here at Miss. You, you are just an example of what we can accomplish. You, you are our Black Panther right now. Just say that. Stop. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> um, Thank you. I am incredibly like humbled. Yeah, but that's yeah. the whole point. We're trying to highlight the heroes in our school and show people how we can do the same thing or something just like it, you know, uh, or something inspired by it, any, anything. But it's faculty, it's alumni, it's current students. We can learn so much from each other. Yeah, truly. I think that's a good note to kind of wind down the conversation on. But I, I don't think this should be the last time we talk. Hopefully we can keep up and we can continue showing Miss how it's done, whether in D.C. or elsewhere. Yeah, certainly. You'll, it sounds like you're just on an upward trajectory right now. So keep up a good work. Thank you. I feel like my life is a roller coaster and it's only going up. Um, that's a quote from uh, Faults in Our Stars. Faults in one Our Stars. One of my favorites. Okay. I've heard of that one. I'll look it up. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Castellini.